Welcome to The Smiley Connection, a podcast brought to you by the Smiley Professionals Network and The Smiley. On this show, we'll bring you professionals from all walks of life and across all industries to help you grow professionally and personally. We'll laugh, we'll learn, we'll connect. And who knows, you may find your next Smiley Connection on our show. Yali Madat and hello to everyone. It's Reem Merchant, your host. And on today's show, we have Adiba Karimi. Adiba serves at the Aga Khan National Conciliation and Arbitration Board for the USA, also known as CAB. Adiba's journey has been through various ups and downs. While facing social hardships and civil unrest growing up, she stayed motivated and has emerged strong while carving out a new life in the United States. Born and raised in Tajikistan, she provides an inspiration to young immigrants who move away from their families and friends, either due to personal reasons or due to economic or political hardships to have a better quality of life. Adiba has a master's degree in social work from Columbia University and has worked for international organizations such as HOPE and UNICEF. The mission for CAB is to resolve disputes in a cost-effective, confidential and constructive way through a process that is very sensitive and neutral to all parties. In CAB, Adiba is responsible for a component called bandaging the wound. So bandaging the wound is, let's say, a task that has been given to us by Maulana Hazirimam. We are, he's asking us to practice more empathy. That's what it is. It's not the physical wound, but it's the more the, the mental wound as a result of conflict that, you know, one faces. So... We all know that conflict causes, you know, people emotional wounds. So what our CAB mediators are doing, they're helping Murids who are affected by trauma of this dispute to a path of healing. So eventually bandaging the wound is we help Murids, you know, we we help them to heal those, um, um, you know, uh, wounds. It's it's more, it's more mental, mental, uh, mentally we are helping them. So we, how we do that, we, I, throughout this process, we identify and then we help them, uh, you know, come out of this emotional pain. So CAB may not be successful in resolving, in helping them resolve the dispute, but what we do is, uh, as Azri Imam asked us, at the end of the process, one should feel that, you know, um, he was treated uh, in a dignified way and he should come out of it, if not thrilled, at, at, but he should come out of this process, you know, a little bit, um, how to say, uh, with some level of satisfaction. So my specific job work or task within uh, CAB is I organize training for the mediators um, we do have an online system and I arrange, um, I am in charge of the um, library there. I put articles for them to read um, on this topic. And um, so that, you know, 
they successfully work with the with the Jamaat and you know provide service accordingly. That's amazing. Uh, that sounds like some really great work uh, resolving conflicts, arbitrating across parties. What motivated you to get into this? Why this feeling of I need to help people resolve conflict? It, it, it's a it's a very good question, but uh, you know the Jamati uh, role doesn't really depend on you. Once you get assigned, you you have no choice but you know learn the assignment, learn the mission, and fulfill that uh, that uh, you know uh, mission. So, in a way, it's so similar to to my profession. I'm a social worker by profession. And what I do for CAB is pretty much I am implementing or kind of practicing my social work skills. So in a way, it's just, um, you know, they're complementing each other. It's something I've been doing professionally, and now I am doing it as a, my, you know, in my CAB role. That's amazing. So you have a background in social work. And now you get to put that into practice. I've also seen on your profile that you've used uh, your social work when you've worked with uh, organizations like Hope and UNICEF. Can you tell me a little more about the work that you've done there? Uh, right. Before, um, you know, coming to the U.S., I worked for um, UNICEF for some time. I worked for Project Hope. I worked for Aga Khan Foundation, and I worked for ACTED in Afghanistan. And the similarity between this organization, they are all international development organization. And what they do is they do help, um, you know, they do have their target group, like UNICEF works with mothers and children primarily, Project Hope works with families, and then with um, uh, Aga Khan Foundation, I worked with uh, school children. So the target group varies, but the goal is same. They all help to improve the, you know, the quality of life of people. The reason I chose to work for international organization at the time is, um, you know, Tajikistan faced civil war from 91 to 97. And between that, I used I, I chose to work for international organization as the country was going through, you know, economical, economic hardship. So the international organization were the one who had very good resources and it was easier to work for them and the, than the, you know, the um, other places. And, and it was very rewarding because um, I learned English through that way. I, lot, I learned lots of skills and through them, at the time there was no internet. So it's through those organization, we became aware of the bigger world than, than Tajikistan. That's great. Um, you talked about being boots on ground, uh, working with people, directly impacting people's quality of life in places that were suffering economic hardship, political issues. It also gives a way into your uh, growing up years. 
uh, can you tell us a little more about your childhood uh, your growing up in tajikistan how was that my childhood was full of adventures um so uh in tajikistan we have four seasons i was thinking um you know i i i, I need to take my son there <laughs> one day um so as as a child we've been waiting for each season you know impatiently for example during the winter time we love to play with snows and you know Tajikistan is 97% you know mountainous so we 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 used to make our own sleds you know handmade sleds and you know sometimes we were so creative that from chair we made sleds and uh with our friends we played in the snow um spring was another uh, amazing uh season that you know no rules was there we've been we we've been waiting for you know anticipating no rules and you know funny during nowruz you we, not nowruz nowruz means new day but you know the spring we've been waiting when the the snow will mend so that we start climbing the mountains and you know my we, we had um, there are some edible plants that were in the mountains we would go pick them up you know bring them back home sprinkle salt and eat eat them some of them is like revdzak misk and shaturk the only thing i i know is similar guy you you might know shaturk is like rubab in english so the, the two others I, i i don't know how to translate them so then summer comes and we have uh, you know oh another my favorite things during nowruz is we did you know in the evenings if the need in the evening of that big celebration we would go from house to house to collect coins like they would give you a very smallest coin and you come home and it's just like you know a lot of coin and you're so happy it's similar to halloween trick or treat here so um that was my another thing and then fall me and my mom with my other siblings would go to this horog botanical garden that has you know so much variety of fruits and vegetables and primarily goal was to go there to collect you know leaves and 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 uh, grass for our animals but at the same time we enjoyed that um, nice area so much you know we used to go there daily but you never get tired of it um so yeah that that's what it so as i was born in horog it's a, it's a small city in tajikistan and i was born in the context of soviet union so i always was proud to be part uh, you know part of my big family there was my parents my grandmother uh my aunt who was my young my mom younger sister i have five sisters and two brothers um so my parents both had you know day jobs and i i remember my grandmother was taking care of us you know feeding us bathing us taking us to places helping us get ready for school telling a story um and my my favorite part of all was you know when my grandmother you know when they touch your head and you know put you to to nap that was just like my my favorite part i and and even until now i i remember lots of skills and sayings that you know my grandmother taught me so she taught us lots lots of uh, um i 
I was really brave and I loved take, making decisions. Can you tell me a little more about your parents? What what did they do? Absolutely. My um my parents um you know they 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 have unlike my friends, my parents were not, you know, you know some people are so proud of them because their parents are working in the ministry or some my parents were very simple but um i loved what they're doing my mom was my mom uh, um her first profession was a russian teacher and then later she goes to become a uh nurse she wanted to be a doctor but her father was very conservative so he didn't want her to to become a doctor because she's like no you're gonna you know, in order to kind of examine a person, the person had to become naked, but I don't want you to do that. So, you know what I'm saying? So one day I think he goes somewhere far, but she 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 sneaks and just uh, goes to, to becoming a nurse. So that's my mom. And um, my, my dad's um, story is... Um, um you know when my dad my dad was only three years old when his his mom passed away so he has um stepmom and then at grade around grade four my dad drops schools he drops out from the school and then um all he tells us is he's been very hard hard working he's been working in the field at home helping others so starting from from his childhood he's been he's been working and providing for the family for his family at that time yeah um so my my father then you know he became a, a master of uh, making traditional community homes uh he's um you know people what is Pamiri uh, Homes? Oh, I'm so sorry. Pamiri Home is uh, we we have a we we have a these are very traditional homes. Um, they have their own philosophy and history. So they have, five, for example, they have five columns inside, and then the main one stands for Prophet Muhammad. Then the second one for Ali. Then Bibi uh, Fatima, and then uh, Hassan and Hussein. And then we have special roofing where it consists of, uh, you know, four layers, and they they are they're standing for the four main uh, elements of this, uh, you know, of 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 the earth. I mean, of the universe that is fire, air, water, and wind. Um, so my my dad became eventually a master of uh, building those homes. And he started to supervise people and building those people. You started to call him, you know, in the community. He was he became famous. They used to, they didn't call him by his name, but they used to call him Master Kareem. So wherever I went, and if I say I'm the daughter of Master Kareem, people would, uh, you know, immediately, um, uh, um, you know, recognize me because of my dad. So yeah, the Pamiri homes are there. They are kind of, they have very good, they are like the symbol of universe. If you go inside, every single thing has a meaning. 
Um, yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. I'm sure many of our listeners here in the Western world really don't know a lot about these local regional arts. And uh, it's amazing that, uh, you know, your father was a master of these, these local arts. That's great. Thank can you. you. Can you tell me a little more about uh, your education? Obviously, your parents valued education a lot. Um, so how was your education in Tajikistan? Um, can you also talk about the struggles that you faced during that time? Um, thank you. You know, um, you, my dad, at time I didn't, I didn't understand why he says that, but he used to say, study, study. He helped me study a lot. You know, he sat with me. I remember he sat with me. He made me read. He made me write. But he never really helped me, like, you know, corrected me because my father couldn't read himself. So, but, you know, I appreciate those moments now so much because I got even tired, but he's standing, sitting next to me and made me read. So his... I remember clearly his him telling me that I don't want you to become like me. But he he was very famous and you know everyone respected him like what my dad means I want don't want you to become like me. Now I now I I'm I'm, I'm just reflecting back I do understand what my you know dear father meant. Um you know he he helped me to to definitely to become uh, a better person and who I am who I am now. Um so my education definitely was my, you know, it was during the Soviet Union time that we started in um, in schools. And at the time, you know, school, education and healthcare was free. So imagine how much relief that was for our parents not to worry for health or education. But that fairy tale, um, unfortunately, you know, the Soviet Union, um, collapses in 1991 and I believe not really sure but I believe I was 14 or 15 at the time uh, grade, grade eight or nine so that's when you know the difficult timing comes so once Soviet Union collapses people lose their job you know inflation civil war eventually you know lots of people are struggle, struggling there to to even find bread and put on the on their table. At the time, I didn't feel it, to be honest with you. I remember things, but I didn't feel it. Now, I cannot imagine my child without one day food. Imagine my mom, you know, thinking back and like how mom, they were so resilient. Like how did, I haven't seen if my mom crying to us. They were so strong. You know, there were a time that I think for a few months, we there was nothing. We, we didn't have anything to eat. Um, it was to the extent that if people, I don't know who, people who remember that this were, we sometimes joke about, we say 19, we don't say 1991, we say 19 hungry years, 1990 hungry years, you know, jokingly in, among our friends. Um, so I remember 
like I used we used to watch civil you know um, World War II movies when when they people sit around and one little bread they cut cut into little pieces that's how we were and at a time there was not even bread not even food like like our mom would create something every day from from she used to tell us that the berries right the berries that we usually dry and give to animals we used to eat that at that time and that's that's real we call it tooth so like it's like it's there was a, like a tooth like those berries were like berries for human and then berries for animals so that that that's how um sh shortage of food there was so and then 1992, I remember um, some three men would come to the to the tower area. Foreigners, I've never seen foreigners before in my life, <laughs> except you know we we used to, we we Russians, but we didn't think of Russians as a foreigners. So these three foreigners, they've been sent to us by. Mulana Hazrimam. And at that time, I'm 15, 16 years old. Who is Mulana Hazrimam? How come we never heard of this? Why you're calling him Mulana Hazrimam? You know, to me, even the, the, the name was so new. Like, who is this person? Like, how come we we never heard from about him before and all of a sudden now? They started to go, get so curious. Um, of course, they're talking uh, English. One spoke Farsi, but me at the time, no English, no Farsi. So the one word I heard is, you have an imam, you have a sahib, you will be fine. Just don't lose hope. So I don't know which, which month it was. But then 1995, Hazir Imam comes. But before him coming, you know, let me tell you, when the food came, that food saved us. So Hazir Imam sent food for us, right? In a, in a form of humanitarian aid. So that food literally saved us from death. If not that food, I wouldn't be here right now. So I'm so grateful for Hazir Imam, everything he does and still doing. Yes, that's, that's so, I think it, in this modern world, we take so many things just for granted. Hearing stories like yours, and even today, there are so many people who have just unprecedented amount of difficulty. It just makes us feel so much more grateful for the basic resources that we have access to and often taken for granted. I've also heard uh, this uh, story about the footprints in the sand. It's like, you know, a caring parent who walks with you when times are good, but actually carries you when when the times are difficult. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it's it's really inspiring to hear that. And of course, uh, many thanks to Malana. Now I think... Sorry. Now I think back and he has been always there. 
So I remember my grandma used to, when she prayed, she said, Sultan John, Sultan John. You know, we even she didn't know that there's a new imam since 1957. And she kept praying the old, you know, namaz. And she kept saying to Sultan, Sultan Mamacha, Sultan John. And we're like, maybe my grandma is a little, you know, who is the Sultan John? And she never told us, you know, now I feel like to that extent, they were protective of his name. You know, today we do something to Hazrat Imam, oh, loosely sending his name through messages and this and that. They were protecting their name so much. You know, the regime was different. They didn't tell us because they were, they were, they didn't, you know, a word, they didn't waste the word. Just, I think during the Soviet Union, the regime was, you know, many messengers were disappeared because people were not allowed to gather. It's a whole story. But my point is they were so protective and so respective of the Imam name that they just didn't, uh, you know, they made sure that he's protected. So in 95, when Hazrat Imam came to Tajikistan for the first time in May, we went to Darbar. That Darbar was very special. We all went. We've been up all night waiting for him. And we walked. There was no no car, nothing. We don't even have money for car at the time. No one had because the, the country is at, at economical, right? It's just like it's in lots of um, issues the country has. So we walk, walked to the Darbar Hall maybe over 10 miles. That was a lot. Yeah, yeah. We've been walking. Even more, I don't know exactly know how much, but that walk was so much fun. We've just like, you know, we're going to see someone, the person who from 91 to 95, five years, he's been feeding us. Let us see him, who he is. You know, we know he's an imam. That's it. We don't know what imam is. We don't know the, the, the anything about him. So then he comes and when he speaks in English, I felt so dumb. I'm like, I don't understand what he says. Of course, they translated it for us. But that the moment I decided to, to you know, that September I was supposed to go to school, you know, to university. And I decided to, 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 to become an English teacher so that I learn English. And next time Hazir Imam comes, at least I should understand him. And, you know, just following him, or whatever he says, if you just at least fulfill one thing that he says, it just like it changes your life, you know, drastically. So Hazrat Imam been that hope for us and continuing to be, and it's just it's just amazing. Yeah, truly. Can you now talk about your coming to the US and adapting to this new world here? It must have been like a totally different world from for you from what you've seen growing up definitely yeah when i um you know there there was no other way for me to come here because i didn't know i knew at the time people are just um you know there was this um diversity visa and right now i am knowing so much learning so much but i didn't know at the time about this many people came through that here but the only way for me to come here was through the scholarships, right? They were grants at the time in Tajikistan. 
I applied and first time I got the grant was to study um, as an exchange student here. And I got to Atlanta, Kennesaw State University in 2006. Um, I came to study only two semester. When I came, it was just, I thought I'm in the moon. It was just like totally different world. Um, you know, to the extent that, you know, when they have this electronics door, when I got closer to the door, the door opened, I'm like, what was that? I got scared. I had no idea the doors can open just like that by, you know, but by sensing your body or many other, you know, things. Um, and yeah, I, I, I had, a, there was a community lady in Atlanta with her family. They, um, somehow they met me at the airport. I stayed with them a little bit. They took me to the university. She introduced me to many other Ismailis here. And, you know, knowing, seeing other Ismailis was just like, it was, it was so heartwarming. I don't know, is it Hazir Imam is doing this or what? I think it's him. him. It's just like you see another Ismaili and as if you are home, you know, you already have family. It's just such a blessing. So that's what happened to me in Atlanta. Anyone I, I, I met is just like, we're so warm, loving. It's really uh, an embodiment of this global brotherhood that uh, the Imam talks about uh, in his Farman's, uh, that the Ismailis, no matter where you go, you're always welcome. You have not just other Ismailis, but the institutions there to support you uh, in your settlement in a new place. That's that's so amazing. Uh, tell us a little more about uh, your social work once uh, you got your master's degree. How did you want? How did you feel like you wanted to implement it? So second time I came to, I got a scholarship to Columbia University School of Social Work. I just like the the first time I was very nicely surprised and proud of myself that I got it. You know, there were over 200 people who were fighting for that scholarship and only six or seven, if I'm mistake, not mistaken, were admitted. And one of them was um, me, uh, someone from Pamir, Tajikistan, you know, an Ismaili. The rest were from other parts of Tajikistan. So I was just like, like I, I was a disbelief that I got it, but um, was thankful that I passed. So I came to Colombia. I started two years social work, and you know the way I have been so grateful for that for that um, you know school and education and that degree. Nothing. We we would. I haven't seen a school like that, even in Atlanta. So much resources. Teachers are so humble and nice. They're like your friend. They teach you in so many different methods and ways, and you feel like equal to the teachers, which is so different from Tajikistan. No resources. Maybe it was at the time of the war, because I don't know how it was during Soviet Union. I wasn't a student at that time. But 
I was just like, you know, the funny thing is when it was at school here, students complained that there was not enough resource. And I'm like, guys, this is just, this is like, a, you know, and the professor was like, you need to tell them sometimes where you're from. <laughs> um, so yeah, when I graduated, again, I went back home because I had to, um, you know, the, the contract with the Soros Foundation granted me that, um, you know, um, scholarship. And the agreement was I have to work in Tajikistan for two years. So I went and I, I worked two years for UNICEF. And this time it was the project was Disaster Preparedness Project. Uh, we worked with schools, we worked with government, we made sure sure the, the new schools that will be built there in a in a safe place, you know. Um and yeah, so so I went back home. You know, in Tajikistan, social work, social worker is not a profession. So um we don't have social workers in school, any other settings. Uh inshallah eventually it will come there, but um over there you would you would work any regular worker but here i know social work is a is a profession so again when i went back home and i worked for international organization so i've been i mean i've been putting into practice my social work through the international organization again Oh, that's, that's really cool that you have this feeling that you want to go back and serve in the communities that you've grown up in uh, not just looking for a better quality of life for yourself, but want to give it back to the place where you are from. Um, that's, that's really great. And I'm sure there are actually many people in our audience uh, who are listening, who are undergoing a similar life situation when it comes to immigration. Some people choose to immigrate for a better life voluntarily whereas others have to leave for certain political or economic issues. These audiences are definitely going to look for some sort of inspiration um, through your talk. So do you have anything that you'd like to say to them? Um, you know, I, I talked about immigration to so many people, whoever moved here, I asked them. I asked my mother and father-in-law how it was when they moved this year. And even with, I, with, our, with our Ismailis, when you first came here, how it was for you. And you know what? It's so amazing how different people got help from different other people. Like you don't have to be an Ismaili to help an Ismaili. There are so many good people out there and they're ready to help you. My professor once told me, Adiba, unless you tell me what you need, I will not know what you need. You know, he's like, you have a mouth and you have to open your mouth and say what you need. So I would encourage people, you know, ask for help. Because today you're asking for help. Tomorrow someone else is asking that help from you. Yes, that's true. It's always help is always there for whoever seeks it whoever asks for it so definitely that's that's a great takeaway for many of those people not just even immigrants anyone who's facing life struggles 
So tell me, Adipa, how do you keep yourself motivated? Because life throws curveballs at you all the time. So how do you keep yourself uh, motivated and inspired to continue the good work that you're doing through adversity, through challenges? Thank you, Reem. This, this are really, uh, your words are already encouraging. They're already encouraging me to do good things. I guess I'm learning from, from good people. I see so many great people there doing good work every day. And, you know, in Tajik, we have a saying that, um, I can say it in, in, in Tajik and then I try to translate it. From whom you learned virtue, from those who didn't have virtue, or or from whom you learned this. Like, for example, if you see someone is doing bad, you'll say, mm-mm, I'd rather not do that. So you're learning from someone who's not doing it right also. I don't know if I, I trans... Sometimes translation, you know, things get lost. It makes more sound in, in, in Tajik. But um, you know what? If you're not staying motivated, if you're not continuing to leave, especially now I have, you know, little one, and I have to be a, a good example for him. I'm trying to put myself in a situation that I haven't been before. I have to shape for him. You know, Hazimam said, an enabling environment. What is it? Like, I'm trying to translate it for myself in my own brain. Like, let me create for him a, a atmosphere where he can, you know, maybe he can look at his mommy and, okay. I even, to the extent that I put myself out there, I, I was running in a local committee. I wanted to get involved here. I want to get involved there. I just, you know, what? my goal is, I need to make, how can I make this boy, my son, a, you know, a global citizen now? You know, the, 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 the bars are very high now. We need to. So I think that's what motivates me. You talked about um, how being a mother keeps you going. And even though life throws so many challenges at you, you find the inspiration in your child to make this world a better place for him or her growing up. And I think many of the moms uh, out there face the same thing every day. Not everyone gets a platform to talk about it or not everyone gets asked. Again, one of the things we take for granted, right? Our mothers. Um, but yeah. every mom out there is a super mom. Can you give our, for our listeners another saying that you've, heard maybe from your grandmother or someone and give us a little translation so everyone goes home today with something new that they've learned you know um my grandmother would know it my grandmother knew so many um most of her sayings like you know the poets that you know she said zikr so i can't say zikr here but i can say the um the famous Saadi Shiroz's um, poem that is also engraved on a stone at the entrance of the UN building here in New York. It says, 
بنی ادم اعزوی یک دیگران که در اوفرینش سیگو هرند چو ازوی بدرد اوورد روزگار دگرد ازوارا نماند قرار بیسکلی در از human being as it you know from the essence like every body part imagine different body part but it's same one one so so every body part is different human if one body part is in pain it, the rest of the body will be in unrest too so the same works our universe like if somewhere someone is suffering we're gonna suffer too so but if you feel empathy for the that, that person it's amazing that you have that feeling but if you don't have that feeling then you should not call yourself a human thanks so much for listening to this episode of the ismaili connection If you'd like to connect with Adiba Karimi or learn more about any of the resources she mentioned, check out the show notes. And if you're enjoying the show so far, please give us a review and a five-star rating on the Apple or Google Podcast apps. It takes less than five minutes to do that compared to the hours of work that goes into each podcast episode. So we'd be grateful for your time and support. We'd also love to hear your feedback. Reach out to us at ipnpodcast at ipnonline.net. This episode was produced by me and edited by the talented Kes Adi. Marketing for this episode was carried out by the stellar Samin Jivani. Our cover art is designed by the skilled Shaquille Mahan. Also, many thanks to Sony Kasam, head of marketing at IPN. Zoa Momin, the head of strategic initiatives at IPN. I'm Dolly Lakhani, our speaker advisor for the Ismaili Connection. And lastly, I'd also like to thank the team behind SimonSays.ai, the software that helps the Ismaili Connection get its transcripts.